So my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me for reading of God's word. This is 1 John 3, 12. It says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Let's pray. Father, today I ask that you would uh, take and touch our hearts and our souls, and we would understand what you are calling us to in our lives that we would understand the the difference of when we see ourselves as an able, when in truth we're more like a Cain, that we would be a people who understand your grace and redemption and begin to truly live in it. Amen. We are in the time of year that is fall. I like to call it our wet, hot, muggy summer because like that show, Wet, Hot American Summer, that's kind of dumb or whatever. I don't know. I'm just calling it dumb things. We're doing a series called Legends of the Fall. This is our second week. We're going to look at a guy named Kane. Now, we're calling this series Legends of the Fall because we wanted to find a way to get a Brad Pitt movie title into a sermon series. No, I'm just kidding. We're calling it that because we just came out of a series called Coloring Book All-Stars. Coloring Book All-Stars is where we look at all the heroes in the Bible, the one that you would find in a kid's Bible coloring book. And so we come out of that and we want to look at the opposite, go the other way, look at the people we would label as the bad guys. Now, when we talk about Cain, almost everybody would call Cain a bad guy. And Cain is a bad guy, but for the same reason that you and I are bad guys. We're all terrible and we all need God's redemption. Cain gets kind of a bad start. He comes out after Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God has handed out some curses, but he has also promised that he would send a savior, a redeemer, to save mankind. Now, Eve, she is like a lot of moms and thinks that that promised savior is her firstborn son, her beautiful little boy who's so perfect and he would never do anything wrong. Now, you moms who think like this, you're just a little bit crazy. I have seen a little boy walk up to a little girl, punch her in the face. The little girl starts crying, and the mom of the little boy says, oh, he's just being friendly. Yeah, I don't think so. He's being Cain, and you better get that under control before he buries somebody. That's just how it is. There's only one perfect person ever to be born, and that was Jesus, and your little kid is not Jesus. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. I know this is on video, so it's a little bit weird. James was supposed to do this week, but he moved away. So he's like the George Bush to Barack Obama. I'm going to blame him for everything that goes wrong for the next eight years. And if everything you know, goes horrible today, it's all James's fault. If it goes good, it's mine. That, that's how we're going to do it. Now, last week we saw God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Between chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Genesis, we have no idea how long it took, how much time has elapsed. And this is when people come along and they try and set exact historic dates to the book of Genesis. It never works because Genesis is not about exact timelines. It's not 230 at 56, 78 BC. It's about the human condition and that we are lost and the reasons we are lost and how God has come to rescue us. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 starts like this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. This is more than he's like, hey, Eve, how you doing? I know you. Know is a term for intimacy. Uh, In uh, earlier times, earlier than our culture today, people would say things like, did they know each other biblically? That meant, did they have sex? It's a deeper level of knowledge than just two people shaking hands and saying hello. It's the same word that is also used of God knowing us, that God knows us deeper than anybody else ever will. 
So it says, now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Now Genesis reminds us that now men and women make babies. Just like the rest of creation, they are now producing after their own kind. And that means they are now fallen. We are all born into sin because of Adam. In Christianity, we use a term that is called original sin to talk about this. We are all born inherently sinful because of the fall. The church father Augustine said there is a fundamental moral stain that gets passed on to every human being even before they are born. There's a monk named Pelagius, and he comes along and says, no, 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 every human being, they're a blank slate, a morally neutral free agent. They've all got a clean shot at perfection. And I'd like to say, obviously, Pelagius never had children because when children hit two years old, their favorite words are no and mine, and it just goes to prove my point. Now, Adam and Eve, they are made by God, everybody else's descendant, so it's important to understanding the nature that we are born into. Psalm 58, verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray from birth speaking lies. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are born into sin from birth. So Genesis 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. This can literally, literally be translated as, Together with God, I have made a man. She has made a man. She, she was made from man, and now she makes a man on her own. And her words in the scriptures are actually a little bit arrogant in the text. In, in Genesis 3, God promises a Savior is going to come. He will crush Satan. He will straighten out the sin problem. And Eve thinks she just gave birth to that person. Jonathan Edwards believed this should have been translated as, I have gotten a man, the Lord. She says, God made a man, and so did I. So, so far in Genesis, what you have seen is the woman tries to control her husband, then she tries to control her own sin, and now she thinks she's going to fix everything through Cain. And almost as an afterthought, it's kind of sad, you get verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. In verse 2, there is no, she conceived and she bore, which makes some commentators think that Abel is an afterthought. He's maybe even a twin that they didn't even know was coming. She thought the birth was over, but it's like a late night infomercial. Oh, wait, there's more. You got another baby. Free shipping just comes out like that. The name Abel, it can mean nothingness or breath. So it almost seems like they're dismissing. Abel. It says, now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. These are the two main occupations of the day as they are eking out an existence from the earth. Adam and Eve probably had lots of other kids who had kids. Society is now moving along. Verse 3, in the course of time, and again, we do not know how long this is, but Cain and Abel are now growing up. It says, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So in the fruits of their labor in their lives, Cain and Abel both seen experience God's blessing. They realize this, so they both bring an offering before God. Now this is before money, so a rancher's going to bring an animal, and a farmer's going to bring some produce. But Abel's is accepted, and Cain's is not. Now, the question becomes, why is that? And theologians want to debate this all the time. Why receive one and not the other? 
Now, John Calvin said that one was food and the other was an animal and God expected a sacrifice. This is one of the places where I disagree with John Calvin because the text says they're bringing offerings, offerings, not sacrifices. An offering can be food, money, time, anything. What the deal here is, is that both men come to worship. They are both coming with the gift fitting their vocation. It could even be on the same day, maybe in the same place. Uh, They could have even both been giving their first and, and their best. So what's really going on here? Now, back a year and a half, two years ago, when we actually went through the entire book of Genesis, I told you a lot of times we like to pick on Cain for being terrible. But I'll tell you, we many times are worse than Cain. You know, we come to worship God, and we don't bring anything at all. Hey, by the way, how is planting roots going for you? You keeping up with it? Are we doing okay? See, I'm on video. I can say that. And if you're growing in the room, I don't even know. But I'm just asking the question, throwing it out there. When we look at the scriptures, we usually assume we're the good guy. Whoever that is, that's us. So we look at Cain and Abel, and we think, hey, I'm Abel, and that Cain is horrible. What Genesis wants you to see is whenever you see the bad guys over and over, that's us. That's who we are. The legends of the fall, this is all about who we are. I mean, we look at this, and we think Cain's an ungodly man. But if you look at Cain, he went to church, and he brought an offering. I mean, so often in churches today, we come in and we want to compare everything. Compare the music. Oh, it was too loud. It was too quiet. I didn't do the songs that I liked this week. The guitar solos were too long or too much. There weren't enough guitar solos. Or how about the preaching? Aaron talks too fast. It's even on video. Can't they slow the video down at least to make him talk a little bit slower? I don't like that. What's going on with that? The bathrooms, they're stinky and they're small. Yes, we know. Planting roots, help us out, we will get you bigger bathrooms. The the, the programs, I need more programs. The church needs to do more for me. Give me, give me, give me. And we judge if it meets our standards as if we are the ones who are God. And we think, what did I get out of it? Seriously, if we come with any other intention to a church gathering, any other intention than to meet with God, we are worse than Cain. We are worse than Cain. Cain Cain came to give to God, not complain about what God had given. I mean, at least least Cain went to church. At least he was probably on time, and at least he brought an offering. We seem to want to say to God all the time, these are my hands, and it's my body, and this is my eyes, and it's my money, and these are my friends, and my music, and my life, and we give God nothing. In a lot of ways, we are worse than Cain. So the question again comes to, why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's? Now, I think part of the answer is that we only see the outward, and God sees the heart. Jonathan Edwards believed that Cain and Abel can metaphorically represent the church, like Abel is the the true church and Cain is the hypocritical church. 1 John 3.12 says we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. What John says is Cain had jealousy in his heart. In Hebrews 11.4, it tells us that by faith, Abel came and he had this offering that was better and more acceptable than Cain's. It indicates that Cain comes with no faith. When Cain comes, it's merely religion to him. He only did it because he was supposed to. Now, how many of you have ever come into a church service worried about what everyone else is going to think about you? You know, maybe you dress a certain way to impress people. Maybe you're arguing with your significant other all the way down here, and you walk in the door, and you're all smiles like everything is great, and you want nobody to know what's going on in your life. And you're always then comparing yourself to other people. Well, if I had their marriage, or their spouse, or their job, or their house, or their this, and their that, that's Cain. See, Cain, his sin wasn't in his hands. 
His sin was in his heart. He is jealous of Abel. Cain comes, but his heart isn't open to what God is going to do. This is the beginnings of Judaism right here. And it's telling you the act of worship must be informed by a genuine attitude of the heart. Cain's problem is he looks around and becomes jealous of what his brother had. He didn't care who God made him or how God made him. He wanted to be his brother. I think the two most important things in life are Jesus and who he is training us and calling us to be. You know, and becoming that person is never going to happen so long as our focus is on ourself or someone else. Hebrew, or Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What that tells you is you are not your workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Your life is not your project. It is God's project. God thought you up. He knows what you're intended to be. He has good works for you and I to do. And this is not like the list that your spouse gives you on the weekend to make sure you get done. These are the things that lead to your true self. It leads us to be more selfless. It leads us to be a blessing to the world around us. And when your life is over, God's not going to look at you and say, Oh, why weren't you a better Moses or a better Mike Harmon or a better Aaron or a better Abel? God's going to say, I just wanted you to be you who I made you to be. If you're simply you, you no longer need to convince people you're trying to be anything but you. And pretending, it is really hard work to do. It's why most people feel drained after a job interview or they feel drained after a first date. I mean, it's why when guys show up for a first date, they bring chocolate and flowers because it's part of their disguise so no one recognizes who they really are. I mean, God is someone you never need to pretend in front of. And I'll tell you, Jesus loves genuine brokenness more than pretend spirituality any day. And if you compare yourself to others, it's going to kill your growth and your worship. Cain worships, but it's out of duty. And not that the word duty is bad. Sometimes worship entails duty, but it's not all that it is. Abel knows real intimacy with God. Cain is jealous. At the end of verse 5, Cain sees this, and the text says, So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, the word angry there, it means distressed or despondent. It means this idea of depression. Cain is starting to throw a pity party. Oh, woe is me. I'll never be as good as Abel. God's always going to like Abel more. Sad day for me. And before this gets out of hand, God goes and he seeks out Cain. Just like he goes to seek out Adam when Adam sins after the fall. He is seeking out Cain before Cain does something he's going to regret. God is always seeking his children. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? I mean, God's like, Cain, it's on your face. I can see it. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And this is not God making a works-based religion. But sometimes we do need to decide if we're going to do what's right even when we don't want to. God is telling Cain, you have a choice. You know right from wrong, and you know what you were made for. He says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Literally, it's, its urge is for you. You must master your sin. So what happens? Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. He says, hey, Abel, let's go hang out in the field. Now, Abel is the younger brother. Cain's the older one. And whenever the older brother says, hey, you want to go hang out? Younger brothers are like, sweet, my older brother wants to hang out with me. Woo, let's go hang out. So they go out in the field. It's a whole lot of fun. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. 
It's one of the saddest things you ever see in the scripture. Cain is so jealous of Abel, he gets rid of him. This is like Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of all? And the mirror no longer says, you are queen. It says, Snow White. What's the queen's response? Well, I'll kill Snow White, and then I'll be the only one left again, and I will be the fairest one in the land. This is just like us. We look down on people around us by mocking them or making fun of them or gossiping about them. This is why bullies are always weak. It's always trying to destroy somebody else so that we ourselves can look better. Next time this happens and you and your friends are out and you notice one of your friends doing it or you doing it, I mean, someone needs to look at somebody else and say, hey, way to go, Cain, way to go. I mean, Cain had just left the presence of God with a warning. It starts in jealousy. God says, Cain, you have no right to be mad. He leaves God's presence and sins. The first recorded death in the scriptures is not natural causes. It's from human hands. Eve thinks, my baby boy is going to be so wonderful. He's going to save the world. And what does he do? He brings death and destruction. And this isn't simply what happened between two brothers. This is what always happens. Adam sinned and tried to cover it with a fig leaf. Cain sins and tries to cover up Abel's death. Humans are in this loop of folly and death. And this is the sadness of religion, the sadness of Cain. Religion can so quickly turn into piety and bloodshed. I believe that we are called to defend the weak and the helpless. Sometimes that means our country may need to step in somewhere militarily. But I don't think we get the right to declare war because we think we're more righteous than someone else. Now, what happens in the scripture is that God shows up again. God continually seeks out his people. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Now, it's rhetorical. God knows exactly where Abel is. It's like when God goes to Adam in the garden and after Adam sins and God says, where are you? God knows exactly where Adam is. It's God showing up trying to elicit a response, trying to elicit repentance Cain doesn't seek God, but God is seeking Cain. What does Cain do? Cain lies. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He says, am I the babysitter? Did you lose him again? This is like when we get confronted with our sin. We lie. We deny. We throw it in the face of someone trying to help and saying that they're the mean one and they're being judgmental when all they're trying to do is help us to understand the sin in our own life. God has totally had enough. Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. See, this is the idea that uh, God never failed to speak, but Cain is the one who failed to listen. This is so true for us. Some people hear the gospel for years and years and years. The problem is sin, the answer is Jesus. The problem is sin, the answer is Jesus. The problem is sin, the answer is Jesus. And they just never listen. Wives respect your husbands. Wives respect your husbands, and we don't listen. Husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives, and we don't listen. Children honor your parents. We don't listen. All that you are and do is belongs to God, everything, and we don't listen. Our problem is Cain's problem. We don't listen. God is speaking. We need to listen. Verse 11, God says, And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He says, You have dishonored the ground with your brother's blood. Now the ground is going to fight against you. 
Now, there's this big debate now about what kind of takes place because Cain is now going to speak back to God. And this is where you will see Cain's heart after God seeks him out. And there's two views on what happens. I'll give you the most popular, and then I'll tell you what some other people think, including me. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now, the first view of this is that Cain is still completely unrepentant. He is now complaining and says, God, your judgment is totally unfair. And if this is true, then Cain is an unrepentant, whiny man. He's the same as he always has been. The second view is that this word punishment is the same word that's used for sin in the Hebrew text. Sometimes it's used for punishment of sin, and sometimes it's used when referring to sin itself. Cain could be saying in the text, my sin is more than I can bear. And if he says that, then that's repentance. That's repentance. God could be saying, Cain, you you killed your brother. You You have run from me. You have lied. And Cain could say, I can't believe what I've done. I can't bear to live with myself or my sin. And what that means is that God would have just busted through into Cain's life. Cain would pull his head out of wherever he has stuck it, and he sees his sin. I mean, Cain realizes the first man to die wasn't of old age. It was that he, the older, killed his younger brother just because his younger brother loved God more than he did. But there's also something very interesting that happens here as well. When Cain understands this, you see his biggest fear. And one of his biggest fears is that he might be alone. In verse 12, God says, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain's reply, verse 13, my punishment is greater than I can bear. But then he goes on to say this, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, from God's face, I shall be hidden. He's worried about his relationship with God. He says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. He's like, I will have no community, no connection. God first with you and then with others. He becomes fearful for his life because he'll be alone. And remember, last week in Genesis 2 and 3, we talked about how God said it's not good for man to be alone. Cain is in a place where it's not good for him to be alone. Now, in understanding Cain's fear, I've got to tell you, it has been shown physically the destructive aspects of isolation. Isolation is powerfully destructive in our lives. Animals that are isolated experience more extensive arterial sclerosis than animals that are not isolated. There's actually the story of this man who had a dog and a cat, and they fought for like 10 years. They're driving the guy crazy, and one, and one time the cat dies. dog didn't kill it. The cat just died. It was like 10 years old. That's old enough for a cat, by the way, in case you didn't know. But, but the cat dies. And then all of a sudden, since the cat dies, the dog stopped eating. And eventually, six weeks later, the dog dies. I mean, that is the power of connection. People who are socially disconnected you know, are between two and five times more likely to die of any cause than those who have close connections to family, friends, and other relationships. Cain, after his sin, knows what he's leaving behind because of what He did. He has destroyed the community God had placed him in because of his own sin. And sometimes that's true for you and me as well. Our selfishness, our ego, our pride causes the death of relationships around us. But we have to understand with God, there's redemption, there's reconciliation, there's hope. All things can actually become new. Now look look what happens, okay? You know, God, God says, you'll work the ground. It's no longer going to yield to its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You know, Cain says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Whoever's going to find me is going to kill me. And I think Cain's response is repentance because you see how God responds to what Cain did. 
God does what God always does. He forgives, he redeems, he restores hope. Genesis 4.15, the Lord said to him, not so, not so. He says, I'm going to be a fugitive on the earth. Anyone who finds me, I'm going to be alone. And God's response to that is, not so. Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. God marks Cain and says, this one's mine. This one's mine. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Now, see, God says, you're going to be a wanderer. Cain has repentance, and so God doesn't make him a wanderer. God protects him from people that wanted to kill him. God gives him a wife. God blesses him with children. God gives him a city to live in. God will provide more brothers and sisters and create a brand new community. Why does God do this? Because God's good. That's why God does it. This is a story of the gospel. This is the good news of God. I mean, the culmination of the entire book of Genesis comes in Genesis 50, verse 20, when a man named Joseph is on his deathbed, and he's forgiven a grievous hurt that was done to him, and he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. It's the idea that God can redeem any act of mankind. I actually even heard one commentator liken Cain to Paul in the New Testament. Paul is a, is a Jewish guy, very into religion, and he goes around killing his Jewish brothers, Christians, out of jealousy because they're worshiping God more freely. Jesus comes to Paul just like he came to Cain. And what happens? Paul wakes up. Paul has this testimony. This is who I was. This is what God did. And people start to think, man, if God can love that knucklehead Paul, we can love me too. I mean, think about this. Of all the, all the bad things we think about Cain in the Bible, if God can love Cain, if God can seek Cain, if God can redeem Cain, he can redeem you. He can redeem you. I mean, I don't think I've ever really met anybody who cheers for Cain. But think on this. You see Cain on the worst day of his life. The worst day. Imagine this is true for you. What if... Nobody ever knew who you were except for maybe what you did on your worst day. The thing you don't want anybody to know, the thing you try and hide, the thing you're totally embarrassed about, someone writes that down. And that is the only thing anybody throughout the rest of the course of history is going to know you is your worst day. What would they think about you? What would they think about you? See, the only thing we know about his child, Cain's childhood is that his mother thought he was the Savior, like a lot of moms do today. But we don't know his whole childhood. We don't know his humor. We don't know his athletic ability. We don't know how he loved his wife. All we know is that he was jealous and murdered his brother. I mean, the Bible is the most honest book ever written. It's how we know it's from God. Because no man is going to let this stuff out. The scriptures are constantly highlighting people's worst day. Why? So we can identify. That's why. I mean, Cain says, I'm going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me is going to kill me. Cain realizes what he really deserves. He deserves death. He deserves death. I mean, what if God did this today? What if we got what we really deserved? I mean, I mean, what if you come to church service like, I don't like this music. And so, boom, God goes, fine. I'll just take away your hearing. Now you're deaf. I mean, you'd be like, whoa, well, let's not go that far. You never read your Bible. I'll just take your Bible away and give it to somebody else who will read it. Whoa, 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 not, not, not so fast. I mean, Cain sobered up because he saw what his life was like without God. You know, he, he is no one without Jesus. I mean, the gospel is knowing that God is a good God and we are a bad people. 
God is not the God Cain wanted. The God Cain wanted is the one that was just like, okay, whatever, Cain, kill your brother, be fine. But God is the God that Cain needed. It's why so many religions today try and make God look like us. It's all that we want. But I will tell you, God is not like us. God is free. He is not the one we make. He is not the one we dream up. Sometimes God is not even the God we hope for or want. But God is good. And he is the only God. And he is the God that we need. I will tell you, it is a good thing that Cain got the real God. It is a good thing that you and I get the real God and not the one we're always trying to dream up. Because God said, Cain, you belong to me. God says to you, you belong to me. Was Cain good? No, not at all. Was God good? Yes, God is good. God offers mercy because God's redemption is the point. This is the point of Cain. It shows us the gospel. Our sin had buried us. But God does not leave us in that state. God sends his son Jesus to come, live, die, rise from the dead, to take away our sin and to bring us to a new relationship again. I mean, God says to Cain, what have you done? Cain's response is, my sin is more than I can bear. When is the last time you allow God to dig deep into the recesses of your heart and your soul and you realize what he has saved you from? When is the last time you begin to live in that hope, in that grace of what he saved you from? Because this is why Jesus came and died and rose from the grave. Because Cain spoke the truth. Our sin is more than we could ever bear. But this is why God is good. He does not leave us buried in our sin. He provides a way out. I mean, right after Adam and Eve sin and fall, what does God do? Jesus comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He hands out some judgments about what happened, but he also promises himself to come and rescue and redeem these lost and fallen people. This is what God does. This is why we talk about communion every single week. Communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice like Christ's blood was shed for you and me to wash away our sin. All the things that we should have been buried for are the things that he died and rose for. He promised himself to save us, and he comes and he saves us. He is good. He is amazing. He is, he is better than we can ever imagine. And I think once we begin to understand that we are a lot like Cain, I think we understand the grace and the mercy that God gives us even better. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you're in a spot today in your life where you just think you've got it all together and you're wonderful and everybody else is horrible. Well, you're Cain. You're Cain. And maybe today you need someone to pray with you to help you begin to realize of your pride and your arrogance and your self-sufficiency. Maybe there's some people around you who worship God really freely and you're just so irritated at them all the time that it seems to come so easy for them. Well, you know what? Maybe you need to pray about that. Now, if you are someone who has never experienced the grace and the goodness and the, and, the, and the goodness of who God is, we would invite you to go and pray with them. They'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is because there is no better day than today to start walking with Jesus. And there's offering boxes in the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship, so you have the opportunity every week. There's some food and stuff in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat. Uh, you'll actually get some cookies today since I'm not back there eating them all. Uh, grab something to eat. Maybe meet some other people and talk through some of the questions. 
And I would encourage you to get in communities centered around the gospel. That's why we push gospel communities all the time. Because we need people who can step into our lives and call us on the places where we're being Cain. I know, sometimes when people call us on stuff, our first response is to lash out at them like there's something wrong with them. Like, how dare you confront me? But we need others in our lives or we are going to go the way of Cain. It's why God puts us into fellowship with other people. Because the only way that we live the life that he calls us to live is in community with other people when we understand and center those things on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, live the life. Live the life God calls you to. Be the person God calls you to be. You don't need to be anybody else but you. You are gifted to be who you uniquely are. And God has come to redeem and restore and love you. Surrender your entire life to him. And begin to understand his grace and mercy even better. Let's pray. Father, I ask that today you would take and mold us into the people that you intend for us to be. That you would have our hearts see the places that we are hard, that we are prideful, that we have become just like Cain. The times and the, and the places where we look in judgment on other people when their relationship with you seems to be so much better than ours. Because our problem isn't with other people freely worshiping you. It's with us not feeling good enough. And the truth of the gospel is, is that you have made us good enough. We will never be good enough on our own. But you come and you rescue and you redeem and you call and you save and you give your righteousness to us. Teach us in living in that righteousness to live humbly, to honor you, and all things, so the world would know that you are a good God who has sought and rescued a lost people. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.